0: Before COVID, he burnt the boats and built his Airbnb business up to 180 units. Then COVID hit, and guess what? He almost doubled after that to almost 300 units. Syed Latif is gonna share that entire story here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. If you are serious about building your short term rental business to $10,000, $20,000, maybe even $30,000 a month or more, you have come to the right place. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast where we teach you all things short term rentals. The best guests, the best tools, the best strategies. There are so many investing paths out there. It can be seriously overwhelming to start out as a new investor, but take it from me short term rentals is the best and the quickest way to build your cash flow. So buckle up, listen in, and get ready to conquer the world of short term rentals. Here we go. Hey, I need to take a really quick break from this podcast. And if you are a loyal listener of the Fearless Investor podcast, you're probably either a business owner or looking to start a business. And for that reason, you need to make sure you're doing things correctly down to the T from forming the correct LLC to bookkeeping, to understanding the tax code and more. It's all really the boring stuff, but it can make or break your business. In fact, If you aren't doing it correctly, you could be like 98% of other business professionals in the U.S. and overpay on taxes. Don't do that, guys. Be the 2%, and that's why I rely on easier accounting, and so should you. Easier Accounting is a team of tax professionals that will set up your LLC, keep your books, file your taxes, and they can even repair your credit. And just so you know, I myself use Easier Accounting, and this came after using a similar company that, really being blunt here, completely ripped me off. So when I started using easier accounting, I came in a little bit skeptical, but as I started talking to them, I could really tell they had my best interests at heart. And you know me, if I'm not a professional, I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to outsource that stuff. And I hope you will do the same and use that same mindset to hire professionals to help you form and manage your business. Easier Accounting is absolutely the way to go. Go check them out at fearlesskyle.com forward slash easieraccounting. Hey, Fearless community, before we get the show started, I want to let you know that you now have the chance to get direct access to me in order to grow and strengthen your short-term rental business. How? The Six Figure Formula Membership. I'm the only one in this space offering this value-packed membership for a stupid, stupid low price of $49 per month, and you get access to me, My podcast guests, you get to be a part of our amazing private community. You get our full A to Z business in a box STR kickstart course, and maybe most exciting, especially for me, you get exclusive discounts that we worked for months to get that no one else is getting out there. Price Labs, AirDNA, NoiseAware, HostAway, and so many more at your fingertips. So become a part of this 6FF movement. Get started today for just $49 a month at FearlessKyle.com forward slash 6FF. Hey, welcome in Team Fearless. It's Kyle Stanley here coming at you on the Fearless Investor Podcast. And this is a really amazing story. Syed Latif, after having a conversation with him, just a very humble guy, a hard worker. And as you'll see and hear during this conversation with him, there was really no luck. He'll talk about luck for a little bit, but really there's no luck when it comes to the success that this guy had. He's willing to do all the things that most unsuccessful people are not willing to do. And for that reason, if you're wondering like, why am I not getting results? And and I keep getting no's or I keep hitting all these you know, roadblocks, just ask yourself, like, am I really doing all the things necessary to be successful? Because you're going to hear about a guy today who just grinds and just finds solutions no matter what the situation is. And that is why he's been so successful so far in his short-term rental career. So let's get to it right now. With Sayed Latif here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. Hey guys, welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast. And if you're listening here live in the six-figure formula community, welcome in six FFers. And if you're not, if you're listening in on recording, well, hey, welcome in, Team Fearless, because uh we have got a really cool conversation that we're gonna have with a one of the one of the top hosts, I would say, in our industry. And you know, I'm always Syed, like you reached out to me, but I'm always like is this person for real, right? Because there's a lot of fakers out there. And so I went and talked to a couple friends in the industry who knew you and they're like, he's legit and he's big and he's doing huge things." So I'm just really excited to have you on here today. So thanks for joining us, Syed
1: Latif. Yeah, I'm looking forward to being on here. I haven't done a podcast in a few years. You know, I kind of stayed off the grid for a long time, you know, put my head down and was working. So I'm looking to get back in the zone and hopefully I don't choke up too much, but I'm looking forward to being on here. (laughs) Uh, I don't plan on making you nervous, so I think we're going to be good. This is going to be a fun
0: conversation. And uh, you have been hard at work. Uh, we were just kind of talking right before we got started here. And and the, the story is amazing. I can't wait for people to hear it. But I would like to start off with our icebreaker. What, what is the craziest sure. short-term rental story that you've got
1: for our audience? So I'm going to tell you a story that happened maybe uh, two weeks ago. I'm in this luxury A-class building that is around 350 units in the suburb. Um, brand new development, super nice, hundred million dollar development, pools, gyms, and everything. I had twenty-five short-term rentals in that building. There was a a big storm two weeks ago, and a lightning strike hit the roof of one of the buildings. Oh my god! And yeah, so when that happened, there was a fire in the building, but the fire was in like the attic, so they didn't know that the fire was like spreading across the whole entire like building. Oh, no. So what had happened is one of the wings of the building ended up having significant fire. They had to evacuate all 300 tenants in the building, including my 25 uh, short-term rentals. And all, everybody in the building was displaced. Like My guess, I had to get them hotels for that night. But when they were allowing people back in the building, my wing did not get affected. But well, my units became of value to the landlord. He wanted to place his tenants that he, that, yeah, I know he wanted to place his tenants that, that were in the other wing into my, yeah, into my units. And I'm like, well, wait, this is my busy season. I'm, I want my people to come back in. I have guests there. And then he went off and said, I don't care who you have in there. I don't care about your business. I'm going to lock your doors and take your, I'll put your furniture in the garage. No. And uh, you you could, you could sue me and let's see what the judge says. And then, um then after, after conversation, uh we settled on the dollar amount and I, I gave him all my furniture, all the units back, and we called it a day. I I hope you came out okay on top of that. So uh, yes and no. Um, I was month to month on the lease. So he could have just told me to leave right on the next 30 days, but he needed it today. So I basically got that month of August net income up front to allow me to be okay. And that furniture was like three years old now. And it was kind of beat up and I was it was kind of like a burden to me to like have to think about having to warehouse and stuff. Right. It was actually furniture from like the state Alfred bankruptcy that I I acquired a lot of furniture from. And some of the sofas were like 600 pounds. So I was like kind of dreading to having to remove all that stuff from like the units. So ended up being, you know, (laughs) not 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 like a a win, but not like the biggest loss. And I'm being okay. You know, I could take some money and move on.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, now though, you know, when you've got 25 that you're losing, I guess that's what, less than 10% of your portfolio. So why don't you just tell people really quickly, like what your portfolio looks like, especially are they arbitrage, are they coast, are they owned? Just give a little bit of an overview if you can.
1: So yeah, on my Instagram, I say the only eight figure Airbnb host on Instagram and I have 300 units plus. But after this incident, I'm going to have to change up uh, how many like total units I have. (laughs) Approaching um, the units. Yeah. So there you go. I could change that to approaching. So after the reduction, there's 25 units, I have 295. So I have, maybe give me like two more weeks and I'll go back to the 300 units.
0: <laughs> there you go. Uh, are arbitrage or do you own
1: any of them? So uh, maybe 98% of it is arbitrage. I own 12 units. So three buildings, each have like three to five units in each. But majority of my business is arbitrage. I was looking to buy a lot more last year. Um, cause I had the capital to do so, but uh, with like the interest rates increasing and the prices of real estate going up at the same time, I started trying to time the market and I'm like, okay, maybe it's not a good opportunity for me to do that at the moment.
0: So, you know, the 300 units, there's a story behind that. and We're going to get to that here in a second. Uh, but I guess what I would like to know is, are they all in Chicago? That's where you're based out of, or are they in different markets? Where are they all located?
1: So, um, I'm in few cities, but majority of my business is based out of Chicago. Okay.
0: Awesome. So let, let's go back, right? Before COVID, before even you got into short-term rentals, how did how did you get into this space? And, and what was like the moment where you were like, oh my gosh, I can blow this thing up because 300 units, man, that's, that's nothing to shy away from.
1: Yeah, so my background is finance. I went to college, got a finance degree, got a job at, in corporate America. Um, I was doing forecasting and budgeting at a big insurance company it was Allstate insurance so i was doing that for five years but i wanted more and i wanted to figure out how i could get passive income to replace my you know current active income at my job so i started researching and i fell into bigger pockets and i was like obsessed with forums and like the podcasts on there and everybody was talking about house hacking so i'm like okay i, c- I could do this i could figure this out so i started ending up Purchasing my first multifamily property in 2017, and that's when I did like the FHA financing where you have to live in nice. one of the units. Yeah, uh, it was like it was like a $500,000 property. I got in into it for like nothing. Like you know, I took a loan out of my 401k. $25,000 is all I needed. Wow. And I I was able to buy the property. I lived in one of the units for a year, and after the year was over, I listened to another podcast on Bigger Pockets how this guy was killing it on Airbnb. So I'm like, okay, you know, I have it already furnished. Like let me try putting it on Airbnb and see when, seeing what happens uh, when I first put it on, it made like double rent. So I was like, Whoa, this is like crazy. Like what happens? Like uh, I'm in a very seasonal market. So I'm like, let's see what happens when you get closer to the spring and summer. And like two months later, I ended up making three times the amount of rent that I was supposed to make. And that's like when the light bulb went off and I was like, Hey, can I do this to the other units in my building? And if I do that, will I also get the same results? So it was almost like every single unit I put on during the summertime, I was getting three X rent. Wow. So I was like, okay, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I need to leave my job and like go all in on this like full time.
0: Mm. So you just burned the boats after a few and you were like, okay, I like, what, what were you making enough to offset what you,
1: your main job was, or were you just banking on the
0: fact that you were going to blow this thing up? I did
1: some math and I, li- I lived with not too crazy amount of expenses. You know, I was renting an apartment for 1450 a month. I had a paid off car and my wife and my kids, like um, my wife worked at the time, you know, and she was making some income. So the amount of money I was making did offset my, you know, salary job. And, uh, but I just got this itch. I was like, I saw an opportunity and I said, I said I could figure it out. So what I did is like two months, three months into doing Airbnb in this building, I went to my manager and I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm giving you like a month's notice, six weeks notice. Let me know what, um, like what we have to do." And then, like after like f- like two two to four weeks later, she came and asked, "Can you work part time and you can you know you keep your uh, health insurance?" So I did that for like you know another five more months, and that's finally okay. it was a f- it was December. It was December thirty first, and January first is when I ended up like going full time all day in two thousand eighteen in short term rentals. So.
0: I'm calling out a couple people in my community right now. I just tagged them in this because we literally just had this conversation in Cabo about yep. burning the boats, right? And just going for it and and all the fears that come along with it and the safety, right? Like, hey, I, the health insurance and hey, the being able to pay for kids' school and, and what if I go in and I, I don't get the results I'm looking for them and I wish I had kept that job what did you see as soon as you burned those boats and you went all in, what did you see as results? Like what, what, and essentially what changed in your mindset too, that got the results
1: that you're about to share? So I'm a big proponent on, uh, for me, I can figure anything out. So I bet on myself every day of the week. You know, there's not a time where, um, if, say if this doesn't work out then I'll figure out how to get back a job like my degree didn't go away my job experience didn't go away me as a person didn't go away so if it all failed and I have to feed my family I would just go back and get the job I yeah. wasn't worried about that but I didn't even think of that of that's the case I said this is going to this is going to work you know I was going to make it happen so that was my mindset on it so you were betting on yourself and you knew no matter
0: what even even if you didn't get that job back i'm assuming the skills that you had would lead you to a different job
1: uh, yeah like uh you know the job market was good i was in finance like i i had no concern of that and uh like to be honest after quitting i didn't even think of going back you know if it comes to a point where even if this fails which it could you know things are good now but tomorrow it cannot be good i will never do a corporate job ever in my life again mm-hmm. i will figure out some other way to make money And that's kind of my mindset now. I'll never work for somebody else again.
0: So I want you to speak to our audience here, Team Fearless, for a second. And and just think back to when you made that decision. What were some of the the qualifiers for you of things that you needed to have? Was there a certain amount of money in the bank that you needed to have to make sure like, hey, even if this goes awry, I've got X amount of months of of savings. Uh, Was there any sort of like, hey, I needed a certain amount of cash flow to make that decision? Were there any pre-qualifiers or were you just literally like, no, this is just the opportunity of a lifetime?
1: Yeah. So, of course, before making a decision, I thought of like, okay, do I have some reserves in my bank? And uh, I did. I had some savings. I had uh, maybe like $25,000, $30,000 of savings. Plus, I had my, another $25,000 in my 401k that I even took out. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, okay, so this... a cushion is good and then the income that I was making from the short term rentals at the time I was in my busy season so I thought this this is it you know like I'm already making more on a monthly basis than I did at my job with these like you know four or five units so having the cushion and having the replaced income allowed me to okay I could go all in and then again my wife had that um secondary income and Again like if worst comes to worst you know I could just get that job back you know I had 6 months of leeway to like go to make sure like if i if i can't get a job in 6 months or something wrong with me you know i w- i was thinking like i would start Ubering or something like that i would have done something <laughs> to make money you know
0: awesome okay so you quit your job you go full time what happened from there and is this still 2017 or what year are we in now
1: 2018 is when okay, so 2018 quit like your job. basically after like yeah
0: yeah. So take me from 2018 up until COVID. What what did that look like for results?
1: Yeah. So if I go on a tangent, and you want to, you to know, break me up, up and let me know. But so initially, I noticed in my market that there was no other property management company that did um, Airbnb besides this one company, and I was like, okay, so there's room for competition. They can't just take the entire market share. So I was like, okay, let me make a um, you know Airbnb management company where. I go to owners that already have furnished units or they're already on Airbnb and you know, let's take it 80, 20 split. And, um, that's where I started marketing. I'm created a website and, you know, I invested in some SEO, like not even that much money, but that boosted me up to like number one on Google Nice, and which was like amazing cause there's not a lot of competition for, you know, Airbnb management, in Chicago. So, um, I even was like above them. So I would get all these leads coming in and I was like, well, wow, like, this is like amazing. So, uh, I ended up closing all these deals with all these different people, and um, I started doing their work for them. And after like you know three, four, five months, I realized like, whoa, this is not for me. Like I cannot deal with like these emotional people in these yeah, um in these homes. homes. They, they took they took yeah they took a, a lot out of me, and um, they were complaining about like the minor things and not worried about like the actual dollars coming in because I still was making their their like two x rent you know um for their units after my fees. So they were worried about like, hey, why is this like thirty dollar painting broken and stuff? And like, hey, okay, you know, <laughs> a big deal, I'll, I'll replace it. But you know, it takes a toll on you for the amount of complaints. Um, sure. They message you like you're in a, you're their assistant. Like, hey, um, do this for me, do that for me. So after a one big bad relationship I had with this one person, I was like, they used like three months of my time. Like, um, they made me onboard like uh, twenty units. For like three months and I did everything for them. And then all of a sudden after one month, they like cut me off. And I was like, Well, like, hey, I can't do that again. You know, fortunately, then I went to this one random networking event. And it's this networking event, one person in my little circle of group was like, Hey, we're looking for people to do Airbnb in our properties. And I was like, wait, what the heck? You know, I never even heard like anybody even asking that, you know. Um, I'm like, okay, who do you work with? Like, do you own the buildings and stuff? She was like, Well, I work with this one big landlord. Uh, he has a thousand units at the time. And they're trying to visit an Airbnb in their buildings. I'm like, okay, you know me, like, uh, I'd love to do that. She's like, okay, give me your information and uh, let's reach out. So uh, it was me reaching out to them for like six months. Like I was like begging them, like every other like week I would like, hey, uh, you know, what's going on? Can we do Airbnb in your property? And I was only at the level of the property manager of of the building. And then finally it came, he was just pushing me off, pushing me off. And then finally, like I started stepping into the office. I'm like, hey, can we do something? And then he was like fed up with me. So he's like, let me just have you have a meeting with the boss. Okay. So I had my meeting with the boss and he was just like a a big alpha. Like I didn't even say a word. And he just um, said all these things like why it's not a good idea and why he does not want to get in the furniture business. He doesn't want to buy furniture. It's going to be a distraction. Tenants are going to complain, blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, you know, let me just rent two of the units and I'll pay you rent and allow me to run the business on myself. And it doesn't matter how much money I make, I'll just pay you the rent. And this was like rental arbitrage before like rental arbitrage existed. Like there was not a word, a term for this, right? So he ended up saying, as long as you pay the rent and don't cause me issues, let's go, let's do it. So uh, after six months of persistence and finally getting that meeting with the guy, I got two units. Um, After I furnished those two units, I started putting on um, Airbnb. Um, it was like, you know, one month, two months later, I was like, hey, you know, I paid the second rent, third rent. You have more units I can have. And mind you, he had like a thousand units at the time. Wow. So he has vacancy. You know, he has one hundred, two hundred units vacant at a at time. And then he said, yeah, sure. You're doing good. Take these other two units. I take those two units. Two months later, I'm like, can I have more? And he's like, take these five units. And then <laughs> uh, I kept coming to him and then take these 15 units. You know, was it um, all in the same building? No, they're all in different buildings. He had many different buildings all over the city. Cool. And then finally, I kept on adding units with him. You know, the two units became 35 units. Wow. All from one landlord? All from one landlord. Yes.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so, so you get yeah, you get 35,
1: yeah. and then, then what happened? So after doing, like, leases, like, from, uh, from like, the standard lease, um, it ended up being, like, handshake deals. And it was weird. After, like, 35 units... After I was stabilized, maybe like twenty of my units were um like no lease, nothing, and I was just paying the rent. So then it came to a point where I was getting into my slow season, and I didn't know the landlord's intention. Like he was not telling me like, okay, we're doing good. Um, let's keep on adding or what? And I started thinking, like, hey, I'm gonna take some huge losses right now, and then I'm gonna go into my uh, um like busy season, but what if he ends up telling me to leave after like my slow season? Sure. Um, so basically, that when that happened, I was like, okay, Like, whoa, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. I need to start reaching out to other people to um, get some short-term rentals. Well, because this guy had a great reputation in the city, everybody knew him. He was a big player. It was easy for me to go to his colleagues and other competitors, colleagues and competitors, and be like, hey, I'm doing Airbnb with him. Can I do it with you? And it took me six months to do my first pitch, but my next pitches were a lot shorter, you know, because now I had a reputation. Now I was confident to be able to talk to them. So again, after many say no, all you do is one to say yes. Absolutely. So, And then I ended up uh, uh, working with another guy, starts off with one. And with that one guy right now at the moment, I have 180 units with him.
0: Wow. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: Just one landlord. Yeah.
0: So of the, well, I guess before I ask that question. All right. So yeah. you, you find you find a few more landlords. You get up to right around 180 units right before COVID. Talk right. about what happened during COVID um and just all the struggles that you went through during that time.
1: Yeah. Um but I'll give you like a quick story on um how it led up to like 180. So it was like January 2020 mm-hmm. and this is like my slow season. I'm losing a lot of money but I'm taking on a lot of debt at the moment because uh, landlords had vacancy issues in their buildings. So they were motivated to do business. Okay. And I wanted to grow. And I was like, okay, you know, this is an opportunity for me to just ride this winter. And all I need to get to is like the March spring season and I'll be okay. So landlords are motivated to allow me to get into units. So I took on a lot of debt. I took on like three, $400,000 worth of debt borrowing from the family member, and then racking up credit cards, like I opened up like 10 credit cards in like a month. And, <laughs> nice. and then in addition to like that four or $500,000 of debt, I had losses every month in like December, January, February, because of slow season. But the landlords were allowing me to add units. So it, w- it was a good time. And I'm like, okay, March is coming. This is like exciting. I'm back in my busy season. Now we have 180 units. I'll figure out how to pay my credit card debt. Um, I'll figure out how to do all this. We'll, we'll be all good. But then I think it was like the start of spring break. And all of a sudden, like. COVID happens, travel bans, uh, nobody, no flights. And it like literally hit me with like a brick wall. And it was almost like a knockout punch that didn't even allow me to like, even like feel like, Oh, this is done. Like I, I wasn't even like upset about it. I'm like, it just like, it knocked me out so hard, so fast. I couldn't even think about like what was going on. Mm. Right. Mm. So, um, all of a sudden I had to go to the, all my 10 landlords at the time And tell them, listen, I have no more cash in my bank account. I have like a $500,000 rent that's due. Um, How do you want to proceed with what we have going on? Like, I'll give you three options. You let me know what you want, right? And uh, option number one was allow me to leave the units, like just terminate my lease, pick up my stuff and leave. Or number two is uh, let's get on like a revenue share and figure out how we could um, get through like COVID. And number three was like, okay, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to pay you. So you could sue me um, and you could figure out how you could make money off like uh, my assets or whatever um, and go from there. I like that you gave them that option. You could sue me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there was people that said, yes, I'm going to sue you until you have nothing. You know, um, oh my so like, my, like landlords in my market are ruthless. You know, they've been in the game mm. for so long. They were comments from them saying like okay like listen we're not COVID charity you know Uh, I don't care what's going on and at the time nobody knew what COVID was like our our industry got hit fastest and first so they didn't even realize like the impact of what COVID was going to be for them and like how serious it was right I just came to the day that it was like the um, no flights going on I was in my like professional mastermind group you could call it and I was feeling them I was seeing what everybody else was saying and a lot of people were saying this is going to be bad for all of us so I'm like, okay, so let me, let me go to my landlord's. And I was literally walking into their offices and telling them like, here's the situation. And they were like shocked by that. They're like, in all my years, I've never had somebody come in my office without unannounced telling me that, hey, um, I'm not paying you guys anymore. You know, I'm not gonna be able to uh, afford the rent anymore. But there was some good feedback, um, but some not so good feedback. But my back was against the wall. I had to do something. So like out of the 10 landlords, three of them said, uh, okay, Pick up your stuff and leave uh another three were like uh um let's okay we could do a revenue share which saved yeah. my life but That's there true. was like a handful of them said that like listen i'm not letting anything go you got to pay every single dollar or um we're gonna have some problems mm-hmm. i even had one landlord threaten me saying that he was gonna shoot me if i don't pay him whoa uh Jeez. yeah i know yes but i used i actually used that as leverage to come up yeah, with the settlement I, because i was okay, like you I, know, I, hey i feel threatened even though i didn't really feel threatened but i said yeah. i felt threatened um, I had to get a lawyer involved. Mean, he said it. Stuff. He said it. Yeah, I he said it right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so ahead.
0: really, really quick here, uh, I want, I want to interject before you finish that. Yeah, you know, five hundred thousand dollars of essentially rents coming up, and it sounds like you just went into like problem solving mode, and you gave yeah. options, which I love. Uh, I, you know, I cannot believe some of them were were giving you the threats that you were, but. With all of that weighing on you, can you remember back to just like how physically and emotionally tolling all of that was on you and especially your family, you've got kids, like what were the thoughts going through your mind then?
1: So, like I said, um, it happened so fast where I couldn't even like reflect on what was going Mm -hmm. on. Like I literally went into problem solving Mm -hmm. mode, (laughs) but it was like, it was a lonely, lonely, thing I was going through myself is not something that I could even go to my wife about and explain to her what was going on. One, I can't get her worried, you know, Um, number two, um, it's not like she could understand like what was like the uh, everything that was like, I'm going to happen now going forward. I didn't want to scare her. So, you know, I didn't end up like talking to anybody about it. So it was like a lonely thing that I had to like figure out myself, you know, and I had these like, like 10 things that I needed to happen. And if those 10 things happen, then I could still survive and stay in business, you know? And to be honest, like reflecting back now, it's like those 10 things hit with the like perfect, like a home run on all, every single one of those. And that's the reason why I'm here today and able to, um, like even talk to you right now, because a lot of my colleagues, even during that time, I've noticed during, in our little Facebook group, they phased out, they don't even respond to messages anymore. And they're not even in the business anymore. So. Uh, you know, it took a toll on a lot of people, but fortunately I was able to get out of it. But from a mindset perspective, like, yeah, it just happened way too fast where I couldn't even feel sad about it or, um, upset about it. So, you know, that's good and bad. Like it wasn't like a slow sinking ship, you know, to like, okay, Hey, finally I'm losing. Like, I I feel like there are other situations that happened to me in my business that took a greater toll on me than what actually COVID did because of how the speed of like what was going on, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I was only at like seven units when COVID hit. And I just remembered all of the action I had to take for trying to find midterm rentals and everything for those seven. Yeah, I couldn't, oh, imagine. yeah. yeah I couldn't imagine yeah. almost 200 units at the time and
1: what you're doing. Uh, but
0: but you had to scale well, it, back. It was 90.
1: I, I had to let go of half my portfolio because of like the um, settlements yeah. and landlords terminating the leases. So I went from 180 to 90. So 90 was what I had to figure out how to fill up again, with like midterm rentals and other things.
0: All right, listen up. If you are not using Price Labs, you are literally throwing money in the trash. Dynamic pricing is a must in our industry. If you don't know what that is, dynamic pricing is just a fancy term for supply and demand pricing. When demand is high, Price Labs will get you high price bookings. And when demand is low, it will fill up your calendar while the competition overprices themselves and leaves everything vacant. I was dumb in the beginning of my short-term rental journey. I thought I could do it all without Price Labs. One day, I just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to try this thing out. And immediately, my income went up 15 to 20% on my listings. I really was kicking myself. I should have been using this from the beginning. So don't make the same mistake as me. Get started with your free 30-day trial at fearlesskyle.com forward slash Pricelabs. Or even better, how about getting 25% off your first six months as a thank you for being a part of the STR Six Figure Formula Membership. That's right. Go to fearlesskyle.com forward slash 6FF to become a member and claim that discount today. So you were at 90, but now you're at 300. So obviously, like you said, you call it a knockout punch, but it really wasn't. It it sounds like you got back in the, the ring. And can you just talk about yeah. how you were able to go and recover from all that and get back into even just the, the mindset of saying like, I'm I'm sure there was a ton of times right that you were like, okay, am I building this back up to have to go through what I had to go through in March of 2020 again? Or were was that so far in your rearview
1: mirror? So what had happened is after like one to two months, I settled with those four landlords that said, Hey, we're not going to give you any breaks or anything. Finally they started realizing like the um extent of what COVID was gonna be to the economy. So a lot of them did settle with me with payments and dollar amounts or whatever. And then Um, The two landlords that I had with me, two or three landlords that I had on that kept me in business, um, I had majority of my portfolio with them. And they were nice enough to go on a revenue share with me during that time. And then exactly with those 90 units, I had to figure out how to get them filled. So we basically saw what I had to pay from a a long term rent perspective. And I'm like, listen, uh, I'm just going to price it uh, what I'm paying for rent and see if I could get long term stays. So I was focusing on like, you know, um, I put like minimum stays, like seven days or 10 days to Mm -hmm. um, not get the craziness that there was going on during that time of people wanting to book, but getting better quality tenants. So COVID was not that bad for the Airbnb space after figuring out what happened in like the first couple of weeks. Yep. It was actually, we were way better than other type of travel companies. Like hotels suffered so hard, like Airbnbs were safe, right? Airbnbs were clean, there was not the revolving door of people coming in and out. So people started coming back and staying in my space. There was people um, that were going through divorce with um, fighting with their spouse with, uh, you know, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it was like the workers that had to come work for like uh, the need at the time. So there was still a a demand for people coming into um, the space. So um, with those 90 units, um, I was making money and I was paying the landlord. The landlord said, let's try it off for like one, two months. If It's not working out, just give me back the units. And I said, okay, but money was coming in. So they were happy with the situation, um, what was going on. So now I didn't have that big obligation of rent anymore and I'm just sharing the revenue. So it was like a huge burden off. I settled with all these other landlords. I'm still gonna be in business now. I didn't have the stress of like, um, even I have the stress now of like, I have to pay rent because we kind of switched back into um, uh, rental arbitrage. But at the time I wasn't stressed. And then what had happened was there was other companies that were going bankrupt at the time and some big ones, Uh, one of them being Stay Alfred Uh, and Stay Alfred was going through a bankruptcy uh, and they were liquidating their FF&E, which is like the furniture. So I had a colleague tell me that like, hey, you know, put in an offer. You never know if they're going to accept it or not. And I put some crazy offer in for some of their furniture. Like I think it was like $200 per unit on these like 20 units. And uh, which is like, mind you, $200 when it's like $10,000 to furnish a unit, right? So $200 was nothing. I yeah. thought it was a BS offer. I would not get accepted. I finally getting started getting responses saying that like, okay, hey, I we accept your offer. Oh I'm like, pick up this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So basically, uh, I started working with like the liquidation attorney for Stay Alfred. And I started going all over the country, picking up Stay Alfred Furniture at $250 a, a piece. And I, it was like I literally had to create a logistics warehousing business overnight. Like I had to Google, like, okay, how do you rent a truck? How how do you get a warehouse? Uh, how do you find movers? You know, I was literally doing that overnight because it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity uh, for me to get this amount of furniture for so cheap. And it was like decent quality furniture. They offered just had that furniture in there for like less than a year, right? So. It was like good stuff, and I was like, I have a lot of margin of error to like figure out what like. Heck yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So e- even though I bought it at two hundred dollars, the amount of labor was like three x that, four x that. So I ended up being like a thousand dollars per unit that I was my spend for this to, you know, find still mover, pennies on the dollar, trucks. Yeah, pennies on the dollars, ten cents on the dollar, right? So um, I took all this furniture, ended up negotiating in different markets, um, I ended up getting one hundred fifty apartments with the furniture. I had four warehouses in dallas uh in chicago in like all these different locations right and they were offering more and more and more and i wanted it but i couldn't figure out like where to keep it so it's like obviously now going back it's like i wish i bought like more like i wish i wasn't like like okay (laughs) should i take on this one that one like i could have uh, been in a way better position now but i'm happy with what i got you know 150 apartments with the furniture and it ended up being worthwhile for me so Okay, so at the same time, the landlords in my market because of COVID, um, they were getting a lot of rental demand. So they were motivated to have me in their space because I I started giving them money close to rent. You know, like not exactly what rent was, but they wanted me in their unit. I was doing a good job. I was getting them uh, money. And now I have furniture for almost free. I was moving this furniture into their units, which then allowed me to scale from 90 to, you know, 200 plus um, before we had to go back to like the rental arbitrage basis. So, you know, I went from 180 back to 90, but quickly shot up back to like, you know, 200 plus.
0: That is crazy that you're like a lot of people I'm sure listening to this and they're probably thinking like, yeah, if I came across an opportunity to get furniture at $200 per unit, that'd be cool. But I would have no idea where to put it and they would probably just put it off. I might be one of those yeah. people, right? But you went into this mode of I'm going to figure out how to literally create like a a warehouse or a housing business for all of these pieces of furniture while I figure out where it's going to go. So can you just go a little bit deeper on like once you had the furniture, once you figured all that out, how are you able to quickly get so many units from there? Was it just a bunch of units in one apartment complex or were you going one landlord at a time? How
1: how did you end up scaling so quickly from there? Yeah, so um, it was that landlord that I said I have 180 units with, right? Mm-hmm. So at that time, I had 30 with him. So uh, he has 5,000 units. The other guy has had 1,000 units. Now he has 2,000, but this guy was even bigger than the other guy, right? So he has, he has a vacancy at all times. So with that being said, I had the furniture. He had the product. And I said, like, okay, you know, this is going good for us. Allow me to get in some more units. So we slowly increasingly added units in this building. And that's why we went from 30 to 180 with that furniture that I got from the bankruptcy. Okay. Yeah. So, How many
0: landlords in total of these 295 that you're at now?
1: So, um, majority of my portfolio is with that one guy with 180. Yep. So he has maybe like 50% of more plus. Um, and then uh, maybe like four landlords cover of like 85% of my uh, units. And then I try to take some units with some random landlords to yeah. hope to increase their relationship over time. And sometimes it doesn't work out where then I'm just like stuck with that lease and stuck with that relationship. And, uh, you know, I'll phase that out at some point because my intention is to, you know, get a little bit and then yeah. grow into something big. But if I'm not getting that, then it's like, okay, hey, I don't wanna even answer a phone call from something All right, that's happening well, at your place, you know?
0: I need to just clarify this for everyone listening right now. Yeah. I have we have 53 right around there units and about 30 nice. landlords, right? How
1: many? How many? Thir- about 30, 30. landlords.
0: Oh, and, wow. and you and you have, you know, what is that six times as many units as us and about a six market sixth are you in? Of the of the landlords. So that's just crazy. Like the simplicity of that business. Yeah. We're in Fresno, uh, and okay. near Yosemite oh, and Bass okay. Lake as well. Um uh, so what i love about this model sayed is that you're going for the big dogs right like we're right. we're typically dealing with the the onesie twosies the one person who just bought their first investment property or hey i'm moving out of my house and now i want to airbnb mm-hmm. my house and what you mentioned there right there's a lot of emotion that comes with that and we have to really have the expectation set with this person but the, the guy that you're talking about the people that you're talking about the landlords that have tons of units there's not a lot of emotion there, I would imagine. It's just a lot of like, you pay me rent and we're good to go. Am I right? Correct.
1: Well, a little more than that. It's um they want to make sure I'm running a good operation. I'm bringing yeah. good people into the units because they have their core business and all the people within their uh, buildings that I have to make sure I cater to. And then I have to work nicely with their maintenance guys and like their property managers to make sure that I'm not overburdening them with small issues that they complain back up to the big boss. Where he doesn't want to give me more units you know so yes it's paying them the rent bringing in good people uh working as a partnership with like the people in his company and keeping other relationships like letting him updating on what's going on in the world in my industry yeah. and business like with that landlord that i have 180 units with it's i kind of like hanging out with him like we we play pickleball together he's an older guy but I love hearing the conversations and how his mind works. And even when he has phone calls from other people, I love listening into them and seeing how they talk, you know? So I do keep a, a good relationship with him and the other landlords that I work with are colleagues with him too. So it's all like they, everybody knows each other and I have a reputation. I'm hanging out with these guys. So it's like a good fit for everybody. Um, a lot of these landlords in my market are, are from the Jewish community. so. Uh, They own a lot of real estate and they all know each other. They all all even worked with each other 30 years ago, um, painting apartments. Um, you know, so it's pretty cool to see like where they are at. So you got your foot in the door.
0: You, you developed great relationships, um, and you've really fostered those great relationships even to this day, but going back to when you got your foot in the door. And I'm mainly asking this for a lot of people right now that are listening in and they're like man i'm just trying to get my first deal but i really like the sound of this i'd rather have a bunch with one landlord than uh, a bunch with a bunch of different landlords what was the key or maybe a few keys to getting the attention of of a big time real estate investor like that to get on their radar for them to eventually say yes
1: so i'd gone through that whole process like all the beginners are going through you know i paid my dues i'd mm-hmm. gone to a lot of different individuals um Gone to any opportunity that came to me. So I did take on business for that. And I'd still recommend that because you might not get what I got um, right away. It takes time. And it also it also takes, I don't know if you call it persistence or hard work, but it's like luck as well. You know, I was at the right place at the right time. We have to put yourself in those situations to get that luck, right? So I was lucky enough to go to a networking event to um, see a pers- possible opportunity. And I was persistent on that after to try to get that. Deal to happen, right? So almost, if you're starting off, you take what you could get. You know, as long as it's you're making money, or even if you're not making money, like learn the experience, but get the reputation, take what you could get, uh, make it happen, and then you could figure out where you want to go in your journey in this business. You know, and I've gone through different paths and finally got to the path that I'm at right now. Yeah, you know? I think the the key
0: thing here, the takeaway for me at least, is in line with what i've thought about a lot of successful people that i meet most highly successful people that are doing big things are just willing to do the things that other people are not willing to do and you did six months of follow-up you probably at some point were a pest to these people and a lot of people would have been like oh i don't want to you know you worried about how they would be coming across you were just like no screw that i've got an opportunity during COVID, right. You just got an action. You did a lot of the things that people wouldn't be willing to do. And for that you're being rewarded now. And, and that's to me, you called it luck, but honestly, like you create your own luck when you're working your butt off like you are. And, and for that, like, there's no wonder why you're at where you're at. Now I do have one kind of wrap up question here because I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, what does that team look like for almost 300 units
1: and how much time are you putting in per week? Okay. So I'll give you a breakdown on my team. 50%. Okay. So I have a hundred resources, a hundred people working in my company. Wow. Uh, 50% of them are in the Philippines. Okay. So I started my business with using virtual assistants. I don't call them virtual assistants anymore. I call them my team. I call them my leadership, leadership team. So uh, I'm doing this one thing called EOS. I don't know if you um, heard of it. It's from yeah, Traction. traction. Yep. Yeah. Traction. So uh, I hired an implementer and we have a leadership team out of Philippines. So we have our operations lead we have our finance lead we have our pricing and revenue management lead. we have our hr uh we have uh it and we have like uh yeah i can't even think of all the other ones marketing so uh basically i have a corporate structure based out of philippines that handle all my back-end work so uh, my from an operation perspective they're checking guests in communicating with them the check-in instructions if there's any issues with the guests, they record it send out a runner um, that I have local to me to fix their issue. They're scheduling the cleaners, purchasing supplies, all out of Philippines. From my finance perspective, uh, my team is doing like the financial reporting and bookkeeping. Uh, they're doing all the accounts payables. Uh, they're doing all the uh, forecasting and expense forecasting. Uh, they are reading my leases and contracts, making sure that um, they're all in line to what like we need to have to it. And then if they help me sign it, Nice. Um, my pricing team does all like the reporting. I have my pricing manager out of uh, my local market, but I have the one that does the reporting for us on a daily basis to um, track how we're doing um, out of the Philippines. And she's doing the um, reporting for like the revenue and how we're tracking our rev pars and ADRs and things like that. So yeah, so basically 50 resources out of the Philippines. um doing everything. And then I have 50 people here, but the 50 people here are all cleaners runners maintenance handyman and one like um general manager that um oversees like the local stuff going on but like all the work is being done out of the philippines wow is your cleaning team in-house or is that a cleaning company so there are a lot of cleaning companies so they're all contractors so um some of them are uh, one man teams and then some of them are five people teams and um there's on my payroll, there's maybe like 25, 30 people are paying on a weekly basis. Um, And then I don't even know how many people they're using um, to clean my units. So it's a lot of cleaning, a lot. How much time are you putting in per week right now? Yeah. So I like to say that um, I really like my lifestyle. I don't put a lot of hours in hard work, but I take on all the stress of the business. Sure. So I'm always thinking, even if I'm doing something even if i'm at the gym even if i'm driving somewhere it's not like computer work it's not like physical work but you still get tired at the end of the day because you're thinking about the next move or like the next big thing that's going to go wrong and how to solve it or i need to make a decision in three days about this thing let me think through all the possibilities so really like i have a nice lifestyle and freedom to do what i want when i want um my biggest thing is on a weekly basis i have my leadership meeting Um, So that's like a, you know, hour and a half meeting of making decisions like on the spot of like all the questions that everyone has throughout the week I'm making on the spot. And on that to me, I get exhausted as if I work like a, um, you know, a 12 hour shift in that one hour, hour and a half, you know. So um, it's that. And then I handle some from the screening team, like uh, some of like the questionable reservations I get. And then I'm building the relationship with landlords for new business. So that's kind of what I spend my um, time on. But I do, and then red flags of, like, um, the BS that happens in the business and the problems, like a fire or a lawsuit or landlord wanting to terminate leases early, like, things like that. And having to, like, resolve those things, obviously, I have to get involved. So that's kind of, like, my thing. But, like, during the day, um, I get to go to, you know, the gym or I go anywhere I want and um, spend time with my kids and family. Mostly it's more like stay-at-home dad for that. But um, the stress and burden is behind me. Like sometimes I get overwhelmed when I'm not doing much either, you know? So yeah, it, it takes a toll on you. Yeah. So,
0: well, since you brought it up, just one last and maybe a little bit of a deeper question uh, here, cause I, I feel you on that, right? Whether someone's listening in and they've got 10 properties or hundred properties, when, when you start bringing people in to take the, the day-to-day stuff off of your plate, doesn't mean that you've stopped working. I might just like you only have a leadership meeting and maybe encounter a couple issues during the week, but it's always on your mind. You're always worrying. You're always thinking about it. How do you deal with that stress? Do you have any routines? Do you have any stress relievers? Do you have any like me time things? What does that look like to help you get out of that mindset of of worrying and always thinking and and be a little bit more present too?
1: Yeah, so like I think... Uh, sometimes you're just like even born with it. You can handle large amounts of stress without having um, it take a toll on you. But, um, you know, I spend a lot of time at my gym. It might not look like it, but I go to the gym a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like, you know, working out. Uh, my wife says, are you working out your thumbs? Or are you working out like um, your actual right. muscles? You know, because I'm always at the gym on my phone, like in between sets. Um, and then, uh, you know, I play pickleball. I play basketball. And when you're doing that, like nothing, nothing that's going on in the world, like it's like even in your mind, like it just like clears your mind from everything. And as you're just at the present, nobody cares about what's going on in your life. You know, you're you're in the zone, you're in the game. Another thing is like my kids distract me like like no other like I come home and I have a like a landlord like um, saying that I'm going to sue you. And then I have to change like two diapers. And like it's like, okay, you can't like uh, keep that like burden on your shoulders when you're around your kids. They don't care, you know, so. Uh, it, they almost distract me from all like the uh, craziness in the world. So, uh, yeah. So th- those are my biggest things. Like, you know, the gym helps me relieve a lot of stress, um, helps me feel better. I like going there. I love, uh, I love like, um, talking to the people at the gym. It's like my like community now. Like I used to like have a lot of friends and now it's like, it's hard to like hang out with friends a, a lot because of like, you know, family, but now it's like the gym is where I get my social life over there. Awesome, man.
0: Well, hey, this has been a, a really powerful and fun story and, and just all the success, I'm sure, is going to be very inspiring for a lot of people that are listening in. Uh, but where can people continue to get your content and follow you and stay connected with
1: you? Uh, yeah. So recently I started getting involved in posting a lot of content on social media. So on my Instagram, Syed BNB. I like spelled it wrong on this podcast, but um, it's Syed S-Y-E-D B and B like Airbnb. And basically I talk about my, um, daily life, you know, life of an Airbnb entrepreneur. And that's where you could, uh, you know, see my story and see what I'm doing, uh, problems I'm dealing with on a daily basis. And you guys can, uh, you know, contact me over there.
0: Awesome. Say Is there any last words of wisdom or encouragement that you have for audience before we log off?
1: So, uh, my thing is take action, you know, This business is a low barrier to entry. You know, you could simply, you know, help somebody else out with their property. So it's not a huge capital investment. So don't spend a lot of time just like staying behind the scenes and like um, seeing other people do it or just like getting into that analysis process method. It's good to learn, but it's even better to take action. So take action in this business. See how it goes. See if you like it. And if you don't like it, you could move on. But if you do like it, it could bring you some of the greatest opportunities that you could have ever
0: imagined. Good stuff, man. Syed Latif, thank you so much for jumping on here to conquer the world of short-term rentals. And congrats on all of your success. Uh, For those of you that are listening on recording, we'll see you next time. But for those of you that are in the Six Figure Formula Group here live, we're going to keep it here to answer all of your questions while we still have Syed for the next couple minutes. Thank you, Syed. Thank you. As he said, go check him out, Syed b And b and that's where you can follow Syed and his journey as he continues to conquer the world. Like, literally, this guy, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at 500, 600 units in just a year from now. Uh, the amount of relationships that he has to be able to blow this up and all of the team, 100 people on his team, that's crazy. I mean, you know, 50 VAs, I just can't even imagine. Um, all of the things that he's doing on a daily basis to make sure that the quality control of this business is going where it needs to go. But very cool story. I hope you enjoyed it here on the fearless investor podcast. We're helping you to conquer the world of short-term rentals. We'll see you next time. Hey, fearless investor community. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the fearless investor. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And for more free content, check out my YouTube channel, also called The Fearless Investor, and our website, www.fearlesskyle.com. Until next time, keep on conquering the world of short-term rentals.